friends, welcome to Firmly Planted Podcast. My name is Tyler Ings and I am your host. And if you have been following us for some time, you're gonna notice it's a little bit different because this is the first video. This is really exciting. And so I'm really pumped about this episode of the podcast as we have been recording things straight through uh, just audio. But now we are also gonna be having a video format as well. So I'm super stoked about that. And I'm in my daughter's room, so different place and setup from where uh, I usually record. But this is the most quiet place of the house and the best lighting for this video. So I'm super, super stoked. And before we get started in the podcast, I want to go ahead and say that if you are watching on YouTube, if you will please click subscribe right below so that you can follow everything that we post here on Firmly Planted Podcast, and then click the bell button. And if you click that, then you will be notified of every video that we post and everything uh, that we are doing here in Firmly Planted Podcast. And whenever I began Firmly Planted Podcast, my deepest desire was just to help other people get into God's Word because... You hear all of those statistics about the illiteracy of the Bible and how people just aren't in the scriptures. They don't know the word of God. People call themselves Christians, but really have no idea what the Bible says or even uh, what it means to do Bible study. So my goal and my desire and firmly planted is to be firmly planted in the scriptures. That is the whole purpose and the whole mission behind that. And what we're about to do in this episode and several episodes after this is dive right into the Word of God. And we're going to go verse by verse looking at a very familiar passage to a lot of people, and it is the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to specifically look at the first 10 verses in Matthew chapter 5, and it is what we call the Beatitudes. So what is the Beatitudes? Why does Jesus give these phrases, give these often quoted phrases, quoted verses? What are the significance of them? Why is Jesus in the very beginning of this amazing sermon, considered by most people the most powerful sermon in all of history? Why is Jesus beginning it this way? So let's go ahead and look at that, of looking at our culture and what Jesus thinks about it. Mm. All right, let's dive into this thing. What you will quickly see in these Beatitudes is that Jesus is completely countering the culture of his day because the people were being taught false ideas. They were being taught legalism. They're being taught that if you were to follow God, you had to fill in the blank. And they were given all of these rules, given these, these steps to live life that was following Yahweh, and yet, those who were teaching these things were not even living by those very same standards. So Jesus is beginning the sermon to counter the weight and the burden and really the culture that was pounding upon the Israelites. And so what we're going to see we're, in the first two verses is how Jesus sees his culture. And we're going to quickly be able to see how Jesus sees our culture. Let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Only two verses in this episode. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. I want to start off by reading a story that I think is going to illustrate 
why Jesus is beginning the Sermon on the Mount this way with the Beatitudes. So listen to this story. One day, an older man was speaking to a student about his plans. He asked the boy, what do you plan to do after high school? The student replied, I want to go to law school so I can help people with their issues. The older gentleman asked the young man, tell me, what are your plans after you graduate from law school? The young man said, well, I would like to get a job with a good firm and start making money. The older guy said, all right, sounds great. Then what? Well, then I would like to get married. All right, then what? I would like to start a family, have some children, put my kids in good schools, and have enough money to eventually get a second home. Okay, then what? The old man replied. Well, after that, I have worked for a while. Maybe I could come up to a point where I would retire. Then if my health was good, my wife and I could travel around the world. Okay, then what? Well, the boy replied, maybe we would have grandchildren. You know, I have heard that grandchildren are more fun than children themselves. The older man said, that is very true. I love my grandchildren. But then what? Well, maybe I would pass my money on to my children, hoping that they would have as comfortable of a life as I have had. Yes, that sounds wonderful if that could happen. But then what? Well, the young man said, I guess I will die. And the old man said, yes, but then what? Then what? This then what is what Jesus is going to be getting at in this entire Sermon on the Mount. And here in the first opening lines of the Beatitudes, before he even gets into the sermon itself, the description of what Jesus is seeing here is so significant because he is getting to the heart of the matter. He is getting to the very reason why he even came here in the first place is this then what? Because we're going to be noticing a few things that Jesus is doing here in the first two verses that is setting the stage for the rest of the sermon and especially the Beatitudes themselves. Because what we do on this life matters. And that is why Jesus is given these Beatitudes is because eternity matters. But what we do in our lives before eternity begins, as in the day that we die and enter into eternity, this then what is what Jesus is talking about. And how we live this life influences our perspective of eternity. And because perspective matters, perspective, our perspective of life influences every way that we live. However, however we approach things, what we say, where we go, who we spend time with, our perspective of our lives is so important. And Jesus is trying to counteract the perspective of his day and what the perspective from God's view in our lives should be. One poll that was given uh, to Americans said 61% said that the purpose of life is enjoyment and fulfillment. Is enjoyment and fulfillment. Now, we expect non-believers to to live that way. We expect people who are not Christians to say, yeah, fulfillment and enjoyment is the meaning of life. But what about Christians? What do they say is the meaning of life? This, this may stun you. This may 
actually open your eyes to see what the majority of people who are evangelical Christians who are uh, followers of Jesus, what they have to say about their perspective of life. 50% of those who claim to be born-again Christians said that the life's purpose is also enjoyment and fulfillment. So if this certain statistic is true, if this poll is true not for unbelievers, but for Christians, then what are we here for? As followers of Jesus, shouldn't our lives be different? Shouldn't our perspective be different? And that is what Jesus is getting at here, is perspective really matters. Perspective shapes our world view. And Jesus is entering into a culture that had a very different kind of perspective of life than what God intended them to have. And Jesus introducing throughout his, his ministry this idea of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven. He is preaching the message of the kingdom of heaven. Repent and believe in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has now called several of his disciples with him and they began following him into understanding this idea of the kingdom of heaven. He has healed many people. He has, uh, he has healed the blind. He has healed the sick. He has done amazing miracles that people are astounded at what he is doing. But not just what he is doing, but his teachings. His teachings are, are dumbfounding people. They, they are amazed at the authority at which Jesus is teaching them. And in this sermon... What Jesus is going to be laying out for us is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What our perspective is to be as a follower of Jesus. And Jesus is stepping into a culture and he's countering these ideas that is being taught. And he is trying to reshape the perspective to a heavenly perspective. And even before Jesus begins stating what these Beatitudes are, we can learn a whole lot here in these two verses. So let's, let's look at a few of these ideas that Jesus is approaching. Number one, I, I want us to see that Jesus saw the cultural perspective. You see in verse one, and seeing the multitudes, or when Jesus saw the crowd, this word seeing is very important. We can't overlook it. It's very easy for us to speed read these first two verses and get to the good stuff in the Beatitudes. But we can't do that because this is significant to what's happening in this moment. The word see in the Greek is to become aware of something through sensitivity. And it can also mean when you see something to be moved by what you are seeing. The same word seeing is in reference to something that brings an emotion, brings a compassion for someone or something that you are seeing. So when Jesus saw this multitude, he was looking intently at them, saw their surroundings. He was seeing and observing what they were being taught, the, the perspective that they were having of life. He was moved with compassion for them. He, he was moved to do something because of what he saw. And the culture was leading people away from God's intended purpose for them. And doesn't that describe our culture? 
Doesn't that describe what we're being taught? That that if you just reach the American dream or whatever perspective that you want to fill in the blank of what we're being taught and bombarded by our culture today, that is the description of our lives. That we're being led away from the very life that God desires for us to have in him. And what Jesus is seeing here is what I think he would see as well in our culture. And I'm not trying to read into the text too, too much on that, but, but Jesus was entering a culture very similar to what our culture is like, being taught false ideas, being taught what the meaning of life is in a different way, the, having, having religious leaders teaching something that is actually pulling people further from God, being closer to God. And the, the crowd that is leading the way in this, in, in, in Jesus' day, was people called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the teachers, the religious leaders. They were the rabbis. And they were the ones who would open the scriptures and teach people what the word of God would say. But they were also the ones who set the religious rules for the rest of the Jews to follow. And they made tons of rules that that they were enacting on others to follow, but they themselves were not even following their own rules. And this is the typical idea of what it means to be a hypocrite, is that those who were saying, this is the standard to live by, you are to live by that, you are to live by that standard, but I'm not required to live by that standard. And these, these very people is who Jesus would call serpents, would call brood of vipers. But it wasn't just the Pharisees who were teaching false ideas and leading people further from God. It was the Romans. The Romans had complete control over the people. And if you didn't follow what Rome had to say, you were pretty much sentenced to death. And so what Rome was doing was ruling by power and ruling through fear. And fear was something that was was what the Romans were controlling every decision and every person by. If you did not follow them, then you would be sentenced to death. And the, the Romans had the gladiators, and we've had movies about gladiators, and we've had different shows about gladiators. The gladiators were not often trained men to fight. They were criminals of Rome who was sentenced to death, and the way that they were sentenced to death was to fight each other to the death. And they would pack the Colosseums, watching these people who were defiant to Rome, these criminals to Rome, and they would be sentenced to fight one another because they were traitors. And they would pack, and it was crowds watching people fight to the death because they were the ones that were criminals against Rome. But not just Rome's power and, and controlling things by fear, but also the Sadducees were teaching false ideas to the people. The Sadducees were a group that did not believe in the resurrection. And one simple way that you can understand and remember who the Sadducees are, and this is very cliche, very cheesy, but it'll work. The Sadducees were sad, you see. Funny, right? But there's some truth in that because they did not believe in the resurrection. They only held to the Torah, which is the first five books of the scriptures of the Old Testament. But 
they saw things differently about the resurrection because the Old Testament does talk about the resurrection. And so there are different ideas that they were, they were teaching, they were uh, trying to communicate to the Jews. So there was a division. Even though they studied the Torah, they did not study the rest of the Old Testament. And they only held to those books because in those books, there is no reference to the resurrection. So therefore, they understood that there would not be a resurrection. So you had a division within the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were teaching two different things, and, and they, were causing, they were causing spiritual chaos within their day. And that's something that we definitely see within our culture, is that even among evangelical Christians, there are so many different things being taught that cause divisions, that cause this huge gap between what it really means to follow Jesus. Well, you have to believe this. Jesus, or if you don't do this, then you're not a follower of Jesus. We see that today. And Jesus was countering that very same idea. Then you saw zealots. Zealots were people who were desiring to uprise Rome. They wanted to take back control. They were the ones who, um, they often carried daggers within their, their cloaks so they could go up and stab uh, the Roman soldiers because they thought that through their own power, since Rome controlled by power and fear, if they could take back control through those very same means, then, then uh, they could actually um, have, have Israel free from the power of Rome. So you had zealots who were desiring an uprising. And you had the Sadducees teaching something that was contrary to the Old Testament. Then you saw Rome controlled uh, controlled Israel by fear, and then the, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, but causing a division and chaos because they were giving a standard that no one could ever meet, and not even themselves were even trying to meet. This world that Jesus was entering was dark. This world that Jesus was entering was chaotic. And Jesus stepped into this world God in flesh, truly God, truly man. And he stepped into this world to share the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew 4 is one of the first references to the kingdom of heaven. I want you to hear this. Verse number 14 through 17. This was fulfilled that was spoken through the Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. For the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began preaching and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everyone was looking forward to the coming Messiah to bring about the kingdom of God that was prophesied, that was promised all throughout the Old Testament. A prophet like Moses who would come and would free Israel from the bondages that they were held to. But they thought this Messiah would come as a ruler on, on horses with swords who would come and defy Rome and take back control and establish God's kingdom within Jerusalem again. 
but this Messiah was actually coming to establish the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven being at hand is that the kingdom of heaven is now here. When Jesus is saying that, it is that Jesus is proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven has finally come. What you have been waiting for, who you have been waiting for, is now finally here. The desired Messiah was not going to be this earthly king who would dethrone Rome and take over control. But the Messiah would be one who is the king of kings. He is the one who brings great hope. He is the one who would bring true fulfillment. He was the one who would bring true freedom from the bondages that Israel was fighting against. And that was ultimately not Rome, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, not the Zealots, not anyone else but themselves. The Messiah would come to free them from the bondage of sin that they were dealing with. And Jesus is entering into this world to bring hope to a hopeless world. In this moment, when it says that in seeing the multitudes, when Jesus saw the crowd, here's what Jesus saw. He saw their hopelessness. He saw their need. He saw their brokenness. He saw their desperate need for truth among false teachers. He saw their thirst for truth. He saw their desperate need for a Savior. And this is the perspective that he was desiring to change. And the idea of hopelessness, the idea of false teachings, the concept of being broken and in need of a Savior, this is the very same problems that we face today. And so all of these Beatitudes that we're about to study in the next several episodes is countering the culture, not just of Jesus' day, but of our day, and how we can live in the life that God has called us to live. Just like the leaders in the culture of Jesus' day, the leaders in the culture of our day is trying to redefine what the meaning of life is and causing chaos and distortion of God's truth. And there is a collision of worldviews happening, and we have access to it beyond understanding. Think about how we consume media. Think about how we have access to information like never before. I love social media. I love the fact that we have access to information that we didn't have 10, 15, even 20 years ago. But that blessing is also a curse. I want, I want to read a story to you, and I want you to be thinking about the, the great things that come from social media and media, media platforms. Jason Rubenstein's kidneys were failing, and as he anxiously awaited for an organ transplant, the Ohio patient knew time wasn't on his side. Rubenstein turned to Facebook to share his health struggles. His wife's friend from high school read the post and stepped up to donate and turned out to be a match. Up until the point where you were wheeled into the hospital room, you're nervous and it's going to fail or you're thinking something is going to backfire. I was so relieved when I found my donor, said Rubenstein, a father of five who had a kidney transplant in 2010. Five years later, a growing number of patients like Rubenstein are using Facebook to find their living donors. This is a beautiful story in how great social media can be. But I want to think about 
how we consume media and how even something that is so good can be turned into something evil. Uh, think about the, the time that we invest into, into media or the time that we invest into uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and these other platforms and how we are bombarded with information 24-7 and we have to make decisions what we're going to follow and what we're just going to put to the wayside, what we're going to listen to intently and what we're just going to throw away in the trash. And different statistics tell us how we consume media and how much we consume media. Uh, the average screen time, non-school or work, for teens has been estimated to be around nine hours. Now that sounds like a lot. That is a lot of screen time. Non-school work or non-work related. But the average screen time for adults non-work or school related is eight hours. So age seems to not matter in how much we consume media, how often we consume media. And the reason why I'm pointing this out is not that media is evil, because it's not. Please do not uh, take that and run with it and, and quote me somewhere on Twitter saying, uh, Tyler Reigns thinks that social media is evil. That is not it at all. But social media can be used for evil purposes because our culture uses these media platforms to influence our lives. And if you don't believe that, then I'm sorry, it, it, it's true. Because culture is, is using Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. You think about uh, the, the Catholic priest here recently who was promoting um, progressive Christianity in the fact that Jesus was a racist. And that was on TikTok. It went viral, and millions of people are watching it. And then you have evangelical leaders who are standing up against that and who are teaching that passage from the biblical context, and, and I praise the Lord for those people. But that is just one example of how media can be used to spread false teachings, to spread ideas that we're going to have to decide, will I believe this or will I not? Is this biblical or is this anti-biblical? Is this something that I should hold on to and something that should shape my identity and my worldview? Or is it something that I know is false because I know the Word of God? And we have to be careful with what information we allow into our lives because what we let in will eventually come out. And we have to be conscious of what Scripture says so that we can counteract these ideas that culture is trying to feed us that are eventually going to pull us away from, from our relationship with the Lord if we are not careful. And Jesus saw this kind of perspective, saw these kind of teachings and these ideas being taught in his day, and he was motivated to do something about it. Number two, I want us to see that Jesus countered the cultural perspective. He didn't just see the cultural perspective, but he also countered the cultural perspective. This counter specifically comes in the Beatitudes, these nine powerful statements of turning the ideas of the culture upside down. The worldview that was being pushed into the lives of his listeners, he was giving it the correct perspective and the correct worldview from God's eyes. 
And Jesus is going to be giving instructions all throughout the Beatitudes of what it looks like to follow him and how we are called to be radically different as followers of Jesus. That the, the, a disciple and a follower of Christ is to look so different than what culture is shaping us to be like. And Jesus is going to be sharing the, the, the manual, if you will, of how to be a disciple. And throughout these Beatitudes, you're going to see a word used frequently, blessed. Blessed are blank. Blessed are those who blank. And this idea of blessed is something that we, we use often in the church. We, we talk about, oh, I feel so blessed. Oh, wow, you're so blessed to have that person in your life. Oh, yeah, it's a very blessed day. Wow, that song was such a blessing to my heart. And all those are great. But what does it really mean for something to be blessed? What does it really mean to have a blessing? And this word blessed is, is literally talking about being happy or being in a happy state, being in a happy place. Now, happiness according to the Bible is not happiness that is based on emotion. Happiness, according to Scripture, is not circumstantial, but it is non-circumstantial. It is that no matter what's happening around you, you are happy. It's, it's really connected to the idea of joy, that we have joy that is unchanging, that it doesn't matter what happens to us or against us or around us, that we are in this state of happiness, state of joy. And blessed is used frequently throughout the Bible. That's why we use it so often in our Christian lingo, because it is a very important theme that we see all throughout the Old and New Testament. For example, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, which is where the, the name of this podcast came from, Firmly Planted, you'll see that th th this has the idea of blessed. The Psalms begin with the word blessed. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. Psalm 119, 1-2, about the, the, the longest chapter in all the Bible, but also the most clear chapter concerning uh, teaching about the Word of God. Psalm 119, 1 through 2. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all of their heart. Biblical blessing is not based on a feeling. It's being based in our relationship with God. And, and how we think about being blessed is going to come very key into understanding this entire passage. Because being blessed is all about being in the presence of God and growing in our relationship with Him. And the Beatitudes is giving us the framework and, and, and the perspective that a Christian should have as they follow Jesus. Because He is countering Jesus is completely countering the perspective and the, the, the worldview of his day.
And this very same perspective that he is trying to counter, he is countering in our day. Uh, Henry Ward Beecher, I want to read you a quote about him. The strength and happiness of a man consists of finding out the way in which God is going and going in that way too. Is following God. It, being blessed, the strength of life, the happiness of life is really found in finding where God's going and you go with him too. Blessed, if you want to sum it up, is no matter what is happening to you externally, you can be truly happy internally. But let's think about some modern Beatitudes. Before we get into the actual Beatitudes, let's think of how we are being told what the blessed life really is. What we are being told, if you're wondering, well, you talk about our culture and what the perspective of our culture is and how we're being taught different things. Well, great, but what are those? Well, let's look at some of our modern Beatitudes. Blessed are the beautiful, for they shall be admired. We hear that. Blessed are the wealthy, because they have it all. Blessed are the popular, because they're the ones who are truly loved. You are not loved if you are not popular. Blessed are the famous, for they shall be followed. How many followers you have on Twitter and social media or how many people uh, that you have sharing your posts, that is how you become famous. Blessed are you if you're famous, if you're popular, if you're wealthy, if you're beautiful. And the list could really go on of how we are being taught what the real happy, blessed life actually is. But let me ask you some questions. If this is what the blessed life is like, then what happens when things are not going well in your life? What do you do when you or a loved one comes down with cancer? What happens if you lose someone that you, you dearly love? And what if you're dealing with some kind of pain that you have no way of escape and you don't know how to handle? Will, will the blessed who are beautiful be help? Will, the, will, will being famous be your answer to cancer? Will you have peace because you have millions of followers on Instagram? What is the real blessed and happy life? Throughout these Beatitudes, that is what Jesus is going to get at. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you're dealing with, and this is how I want to end uh, this episode today. No matter what's happening in your life, no matter what life is throwing at you, how things are going, good or bad, as a follower of Jesus, with the right perspective and worldview through the lens of the Beatitudes, we are blessed. The culture, the leaders, Hollywood, everyone who is trying to shape our worldview has it completely wrong. Because the happy, that the blessed life is not in what you have. It's not in how many people like you. It's not in what the things, what what uh, things you accumulate and all the accolades that you could have in life. The good and successful life is based on the perspective that Jesus is giving here. That in your relationship with God, and as you grow in that relationship through his word, through prayer, through fellowship, through 
through uh, being involved in church and all the different disciplines of a believer, what it really means to be blessed. Jesus is going to be sharing the skeleton of that here in the Beatitudes. And we're going to see how we can really follow Jesus. If you've ever asked the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? You'll get that answer here in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for watching or listening to Firmly Planted Podcast. Uh, this was an exciting episode. I love diving into scripture and we only looked at two verses, but we I think we saw amazing truths just in how Jesus was approaching the culture of his day and how he's approaching our culture of our day through scripture. So I hope that you'll be firmly planted into the scriptures to grow in your walk with the Lord. Please don't forget to click subscribe down below or if you are listening on uh, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts, click five stars. That helps the algorithms on getting everything out there. And then if you're on YouTube, make sure that you click that bell button so that you get notified of every new post that we have and every new video that Firmly Planted Podcast produces. Thank you for listening. I hope that you were blessed by this video and I'm praying for you to have a closer walk with Jesus. I love you all. God has great things in store for you, and I'll see you next time.